0: The word of God that we're going to be looking at this morning, of course, is from Matthew 28:18 through 20, the great commission, the last words of our Lord to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Go, he said, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, he said, I am with you to the ends of the earth. That's our text. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday we celebrated Pentecost and in doing so brought to an end the first half of the church year. In the last six months, of course, we have celebrated all the major festivals of the church year. And the church at this point then brings us to this, or the church at this point then leads us to ask this question. Who is the God in and behind all of these festivals? We've celebrated all these festivals, but the big question is who is the God who is in and behind all those festivals? Who was the God in and behind Christmas? Who is the God who brought about that virgin birth? Who is the God who sent the angels to the fields of Bethlehem? Who is the God who is present, you see, at the manger and the stable and and all of those things, the shepherds? Who is the God that brought all of that into existence and made that happen? And then we come to Epiphany. And we have to ask the question: Well, who is the God behind that star in the sky? Who is the God behind those wise men coming to worship and bringing their gifts? Who is the God who was present at the baptism of Jesus? Who is the God who, who spoke at the transfiguration of Jesus? And then we come to Lent, and we have to ask the question: Well, who is the God who is behind all of those tragic events in the last days of our Lord's life? And then we come to Good Friday. We say, "My goodness, who is the God who was in and behind that terrible scene, who eventually absented that very scene and left it? And then we come to Easter. We have to say, who is the God who was in and behind that? Who is the God who was in and behind that, that empty tomb? Who is the God who was behind the angels coming and making that great announcement? If you're looking for Jesus here, you're looking in the wrong place because he is not here. He is risen. Who is the God who is behind all of that? And then ascension. And we have to ask, who is the God who is in and behind that? In and behind our Lord's ascending. In and behind the cloud. In and behind the angels who suddenly appeared and said, someday he's going to come back in a similar way. And then we came to Pentecost. We have to ask, well, who is the God who is behind that? Who is the God who is behind the rushing wind and the is of fire and the speaking in many tongues? Who is the God who is behind all of these festivals? Who is the God who is behind Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Good Friday and Easter and Ascension and Pentecost? Who is the God who is behind all of these things And the scriptures would answer us, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the year 1305, remember that, in the year 1305, the church set aside a special Sunday in the year just to answer these questions. Church set aside a special Sunday in which we would look at this God, this triune God, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hear that in our text, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so today we want to look at this God, the truths connected with this God. And we're going to consider it in this way, we're going to look first at the mystery of the Trinity, And then we're going to look at the marvel of the Trinity. And I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. First of all, we're going to look at the mystery of the Trinity. And it is indeed a mystery. How in the world can one be three and then three be one? Yet the scriptures point to this great truth. All the way back in the Old Testament, Moses of course, points to the oneness of God. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul points to the oneness of God in the same way. In Corinthians, he says, We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. So you have Moses and Paul pointing to the oneness of God. But you also have Moses and Paul pointing to the threeness of God. For Moses then, also then, Deuteronomy and Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And so the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Moses is pointing to the threeness of God, and then in the New Testament, Paul then, in the Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, in his benediction says the same thing. He says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And so very clearly and very definitely, scriptures point to the oneness of God and the threeness of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Bible itself though, you don't run across these words because in the Bible itself there is not the word Trinity or the word Triune or even the word Persons in connection with God. Those words were eventually used by early church fathers to try to explain and understand the truth of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is really unusual is that for 350 years, the early Christians debated and discussed and investigated this great, great mystery. For 350 years, over and over again during those years, the thinkers were asking, how can we most effectively, truthfully and reverently speak of the wondrous God we worship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the basis of the biblical testimony itself. And it was during these 350 years then that the Apostles' Creed came into being. It was during this time that the Nicene Creed was written in 325 in Nicaea, Greece. And it was during this time, of course, that the understanding that is expressed in the Athanasian Creed was formed and framed. For example, listen to these words, these majestic words from the Nicene Creed pointing to who Jesus is. He is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God and light of light, and very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father that's an Nicene creed and our fathers putting together those majestic words trying to describe who this son of God in Jesus really was or listen to these words from the Athanasian creed the Athanasian creed which says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance so the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise the Father is Lord, and the Son is Lord, and the Holy Ghost is Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. So in these words, as complicated as they may sound, the church was trying to help us understand that which is beyond understanding and trying to help us comprehend, that which is behind, beyond comprehension. In these words, you see, the church was setting before us the great truths concerning the triune God. And the church was bidding us to kneel in praise and awe and worship. That one, who is beyond our understanding and comprehension. But, not only this day day do we want to look at the mystery of the Trinity, we also want to look at the marvel of the Trinity. The marvel of the Trinity. And we see and realize the marvel of the Trinity when we see and realize how that Trinity works in our lives and how we experience that Trinity in our lives. My, one theologian has written this. The Trinity is not simply a doctrine theologians debate, but the God who is at work each day in our lives and whose presence we experience. And listen to this. Another theologian has put it this way The doctrine of the Triune God is a truth, not for the head. But, for the heart, I see the marvel of the Trinity when I I look at my Father and realize that it is He who has brought into existence everything that is, that there would be nothing if it were not for Him that in six days he brought everything into existence, everything from the farthest star out there to the tiniest cell here. Everything from there to here is because of his giving and blessing hand. What Luther does though, and it is just beautiful, in the explanations to the articles, He brings this right down into our lives. He says, you want to know about the triune God? You really want to see and realize who he is and what he does? He says, look at yourself. Look at your own life and the givingness, his givingness in your life. And so Luther says, you know what it means that God is creator, the Father is creator? It means this, that he has given me my body and soul. He has given to me my ears and my eyes. He has given to me my mind, my reason, in all of its wonder and complexity. He has given to me my senses. He has put me into world into a world that he has created, and then he has given me these senses in which I can see that world and hear that world, and taste that world, and feel that world. All of those things, my senses. That he has given me my senses. And Luther says, if you want to realize the greatness of your Father and his love, just look at your hands. Look at your hands, and look at your fingers, and look at your toes, and look at your feet. That is where you see the Father. And he says also, Look at your talents and your abilities and your potential. All comes from him. So His blessing hand has been there at the moment of your conception. At the moment of your conception, your Heavenly Father was in your life and you experienced his presence. And he was there as you were shaped and formed in your mother's womb. And every day that you have lived since that moment of conception has been because of his doing, because of his being. I would not be, and you would not be, if it were not him, for him. And I would not have, and you would not have, anything if it were not for him. And Luther brings this out. He says, you see the Father when you sit down at your table to eat your meals. You see your Father in the food that you eat. You see your father in the clothing that you wear. You see your father in your house and in your home. You see your your father in your spouse and in your children and in your grandchildren. All of that, he says, comes from the father's giving hand. And it comes not because I'm so good, not because I deserve it, but it comes because of his love and his goodness. Paul can write, I live, we live and move and have our being in him. And I know too that my father loves me and that he wants me in heaven with him forever. But this is where problem comes in. Because my first parents in the Garden of Eden... Turned their backs on my father. And they believed because the devil convinced them that life would be better without the father. And they could make their own decisions about right and wrong and they could go their own way and do their own thing and life would be so much better. And so they, they turned their backs on the father and went away from him. And in doing so they brought into the world sin and they brought into the world death. And that sin and that death that they brought into the world, that infects me too when I come into the world now. And so I am born into this world, separated from the very God who gave me life. That I'm separated from my Father. And there's no way that I can get back to my Father by myself. And this is where the second person of the Trinity comes in. This is where the Son comes in this is where Jesus comes in because my father saw this and how horrible it would be and in the person of his son determined to rescue me so that I could be in heaven with him forever and so after centuries and centuries of planning finally it was brought about his coming my father chose a special people and he chose a special place for all of this to happen. And then after centuries of time and getting ready, finally angels sent by my father appeared over the fields of Bethlehem with this great news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that baby born in a stable and laid in a manger grew up to be Jesus. And he entered into a ministry ministry. Of saving my soul. That he entered into a ministry that that lasted three years. He was 30 years old. And his ministry can be summed up in this way. His ministry was a ministry of preaching and teaching and healing and loving. That's what his ministry was about. Preaching and teaching and healing and loving. Showing people what God is like. He forgave the sins. My. He showed the Father what he is like. And although he did all kinds of good and brought all kinds of blessings into the world, my goodness, the religious leaders of that time turned against him. And in their anger and their rage, they eventually were able to persuade the Roman authorities to put him to death. And they crucified him. They crucified the one who had come to save. And it was terrible and it was ugly. But something more was happening in that event on Calvary than was seen initially because he was the Lamb of God and he was there taking away the sin of the world. He was there dying under my judgment so that I might have forgiveness. That with his precious blood, as Luther said, and Peter said, with his precious blood, he paid for my sin paid for my sin. In other words, He redeemed me. He redeemed me. And that's the Son of God. That's the second person of the Trinity. So as the Father is the Creator, so the Son is the Redeemer. But there's another problem. And that is that even while I have this wonderful gift of redemption through my Lord Jesus Christ, when I come into this world infected with sin, I don't want to do it. I don't want anything to do with God. In my pride, I, I I believe that I don't need Him, and I don't need saving, and I don't even acknowledge my sin. And this is where the third person of the Trinity comes in, the Holy Spirit, for He His work is called sanctification, and that big word simply means this: that He is the one who gives me the gift of faith. That it is he who works through this message, this gospel message. It is he who works through this gospel message and touches my heart and leads me to say yes to Jesus and yes to the blessings that Jesus brings. So that it is the Holy Spirit then who gives to me the gift of faith and it is the Holy Spirit who works through the gospel to bring me back to my Father, to bring me to my Savior. And once that happens, then He becomes my companion, the Holy Spirit. And as I go through life, then it is He who strengthens me in faith, and comforts me in times of grief, and helps me overcome temptation, and assures me of forgiveness, and gives me the certainty that heaven is going to be mine. And so you see, that's how the third person of the Trinity works in our lives. So what I'm trying to get across is this. Is that the Father, each person of the Trinity is involved in my life. I would not be, I would not believe, I would not be saved if it were not for the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so think of this. God the Father as creator gave you the gift of life. God the Son as redeemer has saved you from your sin. And God the Holy Spirit is your sanctifier has given you the gift of faith and is with you all the time. And to remind you of this, and to remind me of this, the name of that triune God is put upon our heads in our baptism so that on my head and on your head you carry the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Luther said this is such a great thing that when you get up in the morning, remind yourself under whom you are living that day. Make the sign of the cross and say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you lie down to sleep at night, remember under whose care you are sleeping. And you say in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And having that name on our heads, it then becomes the desire and the aim of every Christian to live to the glory of that name. Amen.